But welcome, everybody, to The Calling Vision. And this is a place where we explore and honor the idea that your vision has selected you and is inviting you to bring it into form. And when you choose to align and partner with that vision, you can change the world. This is B.B. Harding, your host, and today I have as my guest, Vicki Jerica. Welcome, Vicki. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. For- to give everybody a little idea of, of Vicki, I've known Vicki for some time, over a decade. She was uh, one of the people that I met in the Touch by a Horse program. And uh, some of the things that I've discovered with Vicki over the years is that she claims gives herself credit for being, you know, a mindfulness practitioner, a certified hypnotherapist, a certified equine consultant, and a Reiki master. However, one of the things that you need to know about Vicki is she's done a lot of things. Um, If there's a course out there, she's probably done it. (laughs) And and, and I say that jokingly, but Vicki has had, over the years, she's been a huge advocate um, for a lot of things, and she's incredibly curious and has studied a lot of things, especially related to the mindfulness coaching, also working with the fact that she's um, worked with people to educate them on the fact that animals have, are sentient beings and that, you know, they're somebody to be paid attention to, not just treated as, you know, oh, that's a dog, you know, or the cat or the whatever, but to recognize that you can partner with them. And to recognize um, that they have needs and wants and desires, just like people do. They may not express them the same way. She's also, you know, been an advocate for her children, um, you know, using special needs for their education. And, you know, that's somebody that, to me, I I think of her as an advocate rather than, I'm trying to think of the other word that's, you know, for people who are hardcore activists, that's the word that I was thinking of. So more of an advocate, uh, and at times, though, I have to say her passion um, could border on being an activist. So I've watched Vicki, you know, go through several things in her life, um, you know, where she's had what might be called adversity. Uh, I got to meet her in the program where one of the things um, that came up for her was the fact that she was working on the energy of having been gang raped while she was in college. And she's done many things in order for herself to heal from that process, one of which was to author the book, Dependent Project, you know, which was her journey to coming back into awareness and mindfulness through her art projects. So, you know, I know Vicki, you know, as an artist, an advocate, a mother, you know, uh, a person who is very passionate about dogs, um, a person who's very passionate about animals in general. Uh, we've had some pretty interesting conversations over the years. And so I've watched her navigate her life where she's gone from very small options that she could take to reemerge into the world and become fully a participant in it. And one of the primary reasons that I asked Vicki to join me on this call is that I'm aware that once again, Vicki is pivoting in her life and, and taking on something new and running with it. And one of the things that she did before her current pivot was she was the founder or co-founder of Fuel Boss. And we'll probably talk about that because that was something that was very near and dear to her heart. So she's in the process of opening her business as a mindfulness hypnotist. And I think I've said plenty of things about Vicki, but (laughs) is there anything you feel I left out? No, I think you did a very good job. (laughs) so you definitely Vic I've you know admired your tenacity your resilience over the years some of the things that I feel that you have navigated and managed incredibly well um, given the circumstances that were happening at the time that were surrounding you so I'm just kind of curious you know right now what are some of the things that you attribute your ability to be resilient and to to navigate through all the all the things that go on, the turmoils. I think one of the things that it, that is like really present for me today is the awareness that um, 
I dance in my kitchen a lot. Seems a little odd, but um, I'll crank up the music. And, and I don't really have a genre that I'm specific to, but I use movement as a way to move energy within me. So when I'm feeling stuck in a certain emotion, maybe frustration or fear or whatever, if I turn up the music and dance for a while, I can shift that out. And, and in that, that space then becomes open to better skills, right? Becoming more resilient where I can pull something else, but just dancing is what I consider one of my resiliency skills. Um, yeah. So there's that there's being aware of my, you know, my breathing and my body and my thoughts, very aware of what I'm thinking, um, in the moment. And, or at least I try to be very aware in the moment. Um, and then also like at night, I'll kind of do a, an inventory as I say goodbye to the day. And it's a practice, right? Of letting it go, of closing out today's experiences and letting them um, just kind of float away and know that tomorrow um, is a new day and I have new opportunities to to practice my skills. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, you did. And, and and I have a curiosity around this. I know that you can go take courses that teach you these skill sets. But mm -hmm. what was it to begin with that called you to find out about these skills? I mean, do you feel it? I mean, did it like drop in your lap? You know, one day you were talking to somebody, somebody said, oh, you ought to do this. Or how did it come to you to, you know, look at the idea of doing or taking these up? Wow, what a great question. Like to go back to the dancing that I do yeah. in the kitchen. I mean, so I went into therapy um, in 2007, I think it was. And I was already dancing before then. And my therapist was a gestaltist, a gestaltist therapist. And obviously, I mean, dancing as a form of therapy is right up her alley. So, I mean, she totally supported that idea. Um, so I was encouraged to keep doing out of the box stuff, right. That felt good to me, that released, um, the emotions that grounded me into my body at the same time. Um, I, I don't ever remember having a conversation on you should dance, <laughs> Mm -hmm. you know, and to mm -hmm. stay grounded in your body. I, I don't ever remember having, I, I remember going, Oh, look, I was already doing that, that kind of conversation. I remembered having that. Um, I don't know. I think, I think I was blessed to have that specific dance skill. And I'm not a great dancer, by the way, I'm just a free form dancer. Um, but I came to this lifetime, if you will, with that skill. Like that is something that I've just always had with me. Okay. And I'm aware. Mm -hmm. so, so it's an energy that's been present within you. So yeah. you just said something about, you know, like making you feel good. How much have you navigated your life by doing things that make you feel good? Um, a lot of it. <laughs> I Like where... I firmly believe in following the energy. And for me, that means going down all those little rabbit holes that you see. I become curious. Well, that's why I go to school so much, right? Um, because I, I, I learn about something and I find it fascinating. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to learn more. And so I do, I immerse myself in, in, in whatever it is um, because it feels good. It feels good to learn. It feels good to stretch. Um, it gives a broader perspective of the world, um, you know, and it just, yeah, follow your passions, follow, follow the energy, follow the good feelings, do more of that and less of what doesn't feel good. <laughs> I like the, you know, you just brought up, you know, follow your path and follow what feels good. I know that when you did chill pause, that was definitely feeling a passion. It uh, was. And, you know, how it 
how you a immersed yourself in it and b you know how it led you so talk a little bit about what it was like first of all you might let people know what teal pause is about sure uh, so why don't you do that and then let's talk about you know how it kept calling you in and how did you know you were on the right track and blah blah <laughs> sure because i love this <laughs> um so teal pause is an organization or it was okay past tense um it closed uh, during covid was an organization that connected uh sexual assault survivors with either their own dog or a shelter dog if they didn't have a dog in in their life but they they were yearning for one um we would go out and meet a meet a bunch of dogs and and see if they were a good fit and play matchmaker with with a survivor. And then we would guide, um, these individuals. It was me as the mindfulness coach. And then, um, my business partner who was a dog trainer and together we would guide them through this process of deepening the relationship with their dog, um, to assist them with some of the, uh, the PTSD, uh, symptoms that they were experiencing. So the trauma symptoms, maybe it was intrusive thoughts or nightmares or, being afraid to be alone at night, whatever it was, um, they could learn skills together um, and individually. So there were some skills that, you know, were human-based that the survivor learned. And then there were dog skills that they worked together learning so that the dog would have some tools in its toolbox too, or their toolbox, excuse me, their toolbox so that they could say, oh, my person needs me here's what I can do and, and empower the dog to be able to assist their person. Um, it was a beautiful program. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful program. And, um, and it started with the kind of the memory of my own relationship with my dog. Um, rookie was her name and she really, um, we didn't do like, um, traditional dog training. Uh, at the time it was just, Oh yeah, I have a dog. And, um, I went through a period in my life where I didn't have a lot of people friends. And so Rook really became my, my best friend. And so I would talk to her and I would pay attention to her and she would talk back to me, not in the traditional, obviously sense of, you know, verbal talking back to me, but I learned to pay attention to the energy that she was displaying and her body language, body language is dog's first, uh, language. And so we learn to communicate in the same language and she was able to assist me when I was struggling emotionally. And I was be I was able to help her as well be a great friend and a great human partner. And um, because I was paying attention to her and listening to her needs as well. So it was a beautiful relationship. And um, yeah, I really, without her in my life, I, I don't actually know where I'd be right now. <laughs> and then at the same time, I, I remember you telling the story about Ricky before and you know how the relationship was like the key thing that allowed you to heal. And it then, really was. Yeah. And then it and then Ricky passed away. And she did. she did. And then someone else showed up in your life. Yes. Yeah. So um the day I'm gonna go back to Rookie's death just for a second. The day that yeah. I that she died, um we had to have her euthanized. She had uh lymphomic or lymph lymphomic cancer she had cancer of the lymph nodes. I can't think right. of the name, uh, lymphoma. Yeah. And, uh, I, uh, she would, one of the things that she had done for me for 13 years was make sure that my house stayed safe so that I could go and navigate the world outside. But when I came back, I knew that my house was safe. And at the beginning of our relationship, we actually walked the house together and cleared it together. And so she knew the routine and I positively reinforced that behavior of her following me from room to room to room. 
And, um, and it got to the point where I could stand at the threshold of the door and say, Rook, go clear to the house. And she would go room to room. She'd do it on her own and then come back and tell me that everything's okay, mom, you can come in and relax now. And, um, and, and then it kind of, as I healed, right. I didn't need that, 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 re, that I didn't need to know that the house was clear. I was learning to trust that she would keep it safe and she didn't have to go room to room. She could simply um, stand at, meet me at the door and say, all is well, mom, come on in. And the day that she died, I stood at the threshold and that was the first time in 13 years she hadn't met me at the door. And, and it was really hard, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Very sad. But at the same time, I was like, oh my gosh, she walked me to this spot where I can walk into the house now and not have to have her there to know that I'm safe. And so it was really, you know, kind of, it was bittersweet, but it was also very, very kind of empowering to know that, wow, you know, I've made it this far. I can, mm-hmm. I can walk into my house now without her. And so it was a beautiful gift that she gave me. And about a year and a half later, I wasn't really looking for a dog, but I followed dog rescues and everything. And, and this pup showed up on my news or one of my social feeds. And I was like, oh my gosh, there she is. I called my husband. I was like, I'm bringing home a dog. And, um, Within 45 minutes, Portia was in my life. I had adopted Portia from a local shelter. And Portia was me 10 years ago. (laughs) She was highly traumatized by humans. Um, Just an emotional, kind of an emotional wreck, truthfully. And Yet it was an opportunity for me to meet the moment, meet her where she's at and extend everything that Rookie had learned to taught me about compassion and caring and being in service for, for somebody that is struggling. And I could offer all of that then to, to Portia. And that's what I did. And our relationship just blossomed because I was, you know, able to really put the judgment of, oh, you are messed up and this is not going to work and, and blah, blah, blah aside and, and really see her for who she was and accept her for who she was. And, um, one night we were, I was struggling because I, I mean, you know, life it adds up sometimes and I don't always use the tools that are in my toolbox. And, um, I was having a kind of a a moment and I was standing in the kitchen and, and, um, Portia walked in and she wanted to, um, she wanted to offer me support. And I mean, truthfully, I can't remember her doing that before that moment. Um, it was always kind of me giving her support on navigating the house and the human life. And, um, but she offered it to me and and I felt her presence come into kind of my personal bubble. And it was like, Oh my gosh, you need to space, get back, get back. And, and I used the hand signal for space that I had taught rookie, you know, a decade ago. And, and Portia was a German shepherd and German shepherds have this beautiful little head tilt thing with their big ears up. And she just kind of pops her head to the side. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what that means. And, and she did that. And I was like, oh my gosh, she doesn't know what I'm talking about. She literally doesn't know. I haven't taught her that signal that, that I need more personal space to, to back out. And, um, I was like, rookie would have known what to do in this moment. And, and Portia doesn't. And, and I, and I was like, I wonder if there's other people out there that, you know, are similar to me where they're overwhelmed in their experience and they just want a better way to communicate to their dog and, and to have the canine support um, with them as they navigate their healing. And 
And that, for me, that was the start of Teal Paws, the organization, was that thought. Because um, I did a bunch of research and immediately that night, because I was like, surely somebody's doing this already and I'm just yeah. not aware of it. And I could not find anything that connected sexual assault survivors specifically and dogs together for healing. And it blew my mind. You know, you hear about emotional support dogs or so, or um, psychiatric service dogs uh, for people with PTSD or or um, high stress and you know trauma and overwhelm within the military, and and some scattering moments and mentions of of people like civilians, if you will. But there was no program that specifically did that. And I was like, well, hmm. And it was like, I'll do it. And that's where I came from. And then as soon as I said yes to the idea, right? And this is what's so beautiful for me. I mean, is everything started lining up like, oh, well, I mean, I know, quote, quote, how to train my dog. And I did. It's called capture. You you capture the behavior that you want. It is a style of training, okay, of dog training is to capture the behavior. I'm going to talk dogs, dog trainer speak here for a second. To capture the behavior that you want, reinforce it either with treats or pit girl or whatever. And the likelihood of that doing again is greater because it's been reinforced, right? So you reinforce it, reinforce it. It's a style of dog training. It's not that specific. I need to lure this dog into a certain position. Yes, good, good girl. And 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 train it out that way. This is kind of, I think, capturing some more organic way of doing things, but that's me. Anyway, so, but I thought, oh my gosh, I I don't know how to train a group of people. <laughs> on how to train skills. Rookie had very specific skills that we had, we had done, but it was over a course of time. Right. And I was like, I need somebody that really knows how to hone in and train specific skills, thinking that that's what it was, that it was her skills that, that were so healing. And, and yes, they were very helpful, but it was her relate. It was the relationship. It was our relationship of learning to trust somebody other than myself again, and then actually to expand my self trust. Anyway, um, I met a dog trainer, and it was like, well, that's pretty remarkable. And then I'm like, oh, show me a sign that I'm headed in the right direction. And I was like, just you know, throwing stuff out like. I want to see a pink Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> and then bam, there's a pink Volkswagen Beetle that says, yes, do it. And so I started looking for the signs of support and they're just right there in front of me with ease. And I think that that's, that's part of it, right? Um, the calling made it easy for me to see the signs. Yes, do more of it, Vic, you know, just like a dog, do more of it. You're, you're going the right direction. So it gives me a great picture of the universe giving you a treat, right? I know. Yeah. Popping down a tree. And it, you know, the pink Volkswagen was a treat that I had specifically yeah. asked for. And so, yeah, so it, it did. And I found myself doing things that in the past, I probably never would have done. I was on TV. I did interviews on TV. That's kind of not really where I'm comfortable um, because I felt driven to spread this message that you can put a specific group of people, sexual assault survivors with dogs, build up the relationship. And in that relationship, people can heal. And so can dogs. Dogs live a better life when they're understood. And um, so, yeah, it's. I remember when you were first putting Teal Paws together, how far you had to stretch, mm-hmm. you know, in order to be able to even, um, I'm going to say even remotely put it together, you know, because it, it was so far out of your comfort zone 
so far out of your realm of even, you know, it's like, how do you be in the public? How do you do things? How do you get the word out? Um, and, and yet you kind of went after each one. So you use the term driven to go do that. And in the process of you constantly stretching so that you could be a, an advocate for the concept of humans and dogs partnering together in healing, what, how did you keep going with the drivers? I mean, I know sometimes the universe can put a foot up your ass kind of thing, you know, as a driver. And other times, you know, it can just be like, here, go over here and try this. So how how did you allow, especially since it was out of your comfort zone, the drivers to do it to motivate you? Hmm. I don't. Some of it was my personal. So I'm gonna. Th- I'm. I'm gonna. Um, I was the one that was driven because right. I understood that it was so important. I think the universe. I don't know if the if it if the universe supplied drivers to me so much as the universe drew me in. Okay. And, and again, it kind of elaborates to you imagining the universe giving you little treats, right? Every time I'd say, I need help, the help would appear. If you show me what to do, I will take the next step. I'll find the courage inside and I'll do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, snap, there it is. I said I would do it if it showed up. So it was like keeping a promise, right? Keeping and and it's keeping a promise to what wanted to to be birthed this idea, and even though it was very you know there were parts that were super scary and very outside of my my comfort zone, like I was drawn forward one because I promised I I if you help me I'll show up too even though it scares me to death. And, and what I needed in support showed up and then it was like, okay, it's my responsibility to meet that next step. And so that, to me, that's almost a drawn, like it's drawing Mm -hmm. me further down through my mission and allowing it to unfold in greater and greater ways. Um, So there was part that was driven and part that was drawn and, and together. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm aware of personally is that um, ask for help. And I envision that the help is going to come like this. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it doesn't always do that. So how did you allow yourself to see that the help was going up and it, maybe it didn't match exactly the way you thought it was going to happen? What did you do so that you could recognize, oh, this is a response to my request? Well, I asked very specific requests, <laughs> you know, okay. and I, and I did take time to, to, to really be open to the idea that I didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't know how the support was going to show up. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I right. didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> um. And I guess some of that is just trust, which was big and staying open and staying awake and aware and mindful. I I remember at one point I was, I'm sitting in meditation and probably freaking out a little bit. So I'm using meditation to kind of slow myself down and, and get grounded and everything. And I was like, you have to you have to meet Barney the dog. And I'm like, what is that thought? And I stayed open to the idea of the thought. I need to meet Barney the dog. And I wrote it down. I have a journal. So I was writing it this, all of my whole process during this down. And, um, and I was like, well, okay, I can do that. 
So I get online and I start looking at shelters around town going, is there a Barney the dog somewhere? <laughs> and um, I go to volunteer and damn, if there wasn't a Barney the dog there. <laughs> before last week when I volunteered but all of a sudden there he is so I'm just sitting in front of I'm sitting in front of him and I'm like okay Barney now what and and then looking around going yes everybody I know hi um but it was like I'm gonna trust that thought even though it's weird and you know totally irrelevant I'm gonna I'm gonna trust it and I'm going to show up. And if that means sitting in front of a dog kennel, you know, making contact and, and introducing myself to a little dog named Barney, I'm going to do it because that's what I was supposed to do, even though it didn't make logical sense at all. Right. And I think that's part of it is is kind of the magic of it, of creation. <laughs> And, you know, and, and I'm an artist, so maybe I understand it in that way is that the whole process of creation is kind of magical right? Um, and that you don't know what the end result's going to, I mean, you can think, you know, what it's going to look like and then it doesn't. Um, but yeah, I, it was, yeah. So anyway. So, so what did you get out of sitting down with Barney and saying, okay, Barney, what's next? <laughs> What happened? Literally, it was when when I sat down with the first Barney, because there was actually two Barneys in the town. So I'm literally driving all over the metro. Um, but the first one is, thank you. And it was like, that's it? Thank you? But it was, thank you for showing up and doing yeah. what you said you were going to do. Right even though you were scared and even though you didn't want to do it and you didn't know if you could, you didn't have the confidence. Um, I was still showing up for this thought, you know, noticing it was personality for you. So what's going on? Hmm? I said, I'm noticing the emotionality for you. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's, what brings that forward? Well, I think it was because that was really a big, it was, I was showing up for myself in a way too, mm. that I hadn't shown up necessarily for myself before, right? Um, I have a huge inner critic that I just shut way down during this whole process of, of teal pause, developing teal pause, because I was like, it, it just seemed, I just shut it down and I stayed open to whatever appeared. And that way, if the message came from a dog, it came from a dog. If the message, um, you know, came in the form of meeting a person that I needed to meet, um, it allowed me to stay open to how it unfolded. And, um, and during this entire process, my personal evolution is just growing exponentially quickly, you know, because it, it really happened by the time the, the thought I had the thought in October of of this program and we held our first class April 4th I mean that's four months it went from six months six months okay so yeah. but I mean that's that's not very long to take something little or a thought and expand it all the way out to where you have a full class of humans and dogs in a space that you feel is safe and you're meeting in a group with a curriculum and here you go. You no, know, it's pretty fast. And to get there, I had to grow and expand and, and very quickly as well. You know, we just talked a little bit about like the universe giving you treats, you know, for good behavior. 
talk to me a little bit more about for you what it meant to show up for you. You know, to for you to show up for Vicky. I think it was life changing. I don't think I had done it a lot before. Maybe in little ways, but not not big, all capital, bold steps of support for myself. Mm -hmm. you know, Do you have go ahead? I think that's really where I shifted from survivor to thriver. Mm, that's a big shift. That's a huge shift. Yeah. And it's a huge shift in a very small amount of time. Mm -hmm. So so moving into the place of thriver, how have you seen the benefits unfolding of the you consistently showing up for you? I'm I'm making an assumption here that it wasn't just one time that you've been doing that you know, since you had kind of like that aha moment of, mm -hmm. you know, hey, I showed up for me. Yeah. Were you cognitively aware of the fact that in that moment, that's what was going on for you, is that you were showing up for you? Or was that something that unfolded? I think that was something that unfolded. And I want to give myself credit for showing up for me during the pendant project. Yes. I'm saying that that was big. That was internal, though. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was... That was a journey for me. And this was a journey. Um, not only did it impact me personally, but this, this journey of developing teal paws, it was such an outward facing idea, right? Mm -hmm. I was intentionally engaging with the wider world with two, you know, both the human and the canine world mm -hmm. and, um, and speaking to both parties, if you will. And how, how did that, like, I mean, I learned my boundaries, <laughs> you know, um, I'm very clear where I end and where I don't want anybody crossing. Um, how does it impact? Like, I just feel more secure in who I am. Mm. And I, you know, I, I think it was just kind of slow. The, un, the realization of the changes that were occurring in me. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't paying attention to that part. I was just, I was like, oh, Okay, now I have to go do a TV interview. Oh, okay, fine. I can do that, you know, and then just kind of get myself through it without taking the moment, not being mindful enough to appreciate the internal shifting that I had to do to, to do the interview, right? I don't think I was as mindful about that. Um so not as mindful about the shift that you needed to go through to be able to do that. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so is that something that you have an awareness of some of the time about being really grateful about the shift that it takes for you? Or is that usually like a thought that comes up later? I think it's both. I think there's times okay. where in the moment I'm like, wow, this is big. And acknowledging how big it is for me and the yeah. stretch and feeling, you know, how the length of the step forward. And I think there's other times where I'm just like, oh, I have to do this. And I, I do it. And then I, in reflection, I'm like, oh, wow, look, you really use these resources to get you through that moment. Right. Right, right, right. One one of the things, you know, you've you've mentioned it before in this conversation about the relationship. And and I remember one of the things that you talked about for Geo Pause was the fact that um not everybody completed the training, but everybody developed the relationship with their canine. Yes. 
And do you want to talk for a couple minutes about that and the impact of that alone? Yeah, so it is true. Not not everybody um, during the teal pause program we had um, we introduced. I mean, we started at the basics of skills. So sit, stay, look at me. That that sort of stuff, all the way up to um, really um, intense therapeutic support skills. Right. Again, like clearing the room, turning lights on for you before walking ahead and turning a light on for you. And and not all of the dogs were able to master all of those skills. Could they have done it if the program was longer than six months? Possibly. But that wasn't in that. That's not maybe what their their person needed. Um, But they didn't. A lot of them didn't complete all of Mm -hmm. the skills and master them. And yet during exit interviews and as we're sitting around, we met every week for six months and there would be a time for each team to check in. And they would talk about this quote struggles of training, if you will. And then what awarenesses came up. So again, the mindfulness component of how the week was experienced um, and all of them, the language that they use to talk about their dog at the beginning of the program versus how they related to their dog at the end was you could see it externally as me sitting across from them. I could see that just the language shift Um, or I could hear the language shift and how they felt about the dog, how they would talk about, oh yeah, my dog partner and I, we, we tried this. So understanding it's okay to try new things and feeling comfortable to do that. That's huge stretch. Just like it was for me mm-hmm. in building the program. Here are program participants saying, because I felt supported, I could take a risk where I've been pretty, you know, unable to take any kind of life risks up to this point, but all of a sudden I can, and just phenomenal shifts, um, within the person and their experience with their, their stress, their trauma stress, uh, was, was incredible. So I know that, you know, you talked about that. One of the things that happened during COVID is that you needed to close teal paws down. Mm -hmm. And I know that for you personally, that was a very difficult decision to make. So do you ever play around with, you know, reborn, you know, rebirthing teal paws or something like it? Absolutely. Um, In fact, I am taking the program, like my vision of the program, because it did, I, I did have a business partner. Right. And it was a collaborative effort with the two of us to make teal paws. Um, It is morphing again as a single person. And um, I am doing right now. I'm in the process of writing a book and putting it in the book. This idea that people connect can connect to another species for healing. Um, It's probably going to be. Dogs and, you know, I'm kind of going to focus on dog as the species that people connect with, because a lot of people, um, the, the amount of people that say they need an ESA, which is an emotional support animal right now is just phenomenal. And, and I don't technically think that they need, uh, an ESA specific as a title, like, but they need the relationship. They need connection. And dogs are showing up for people in these big, powerful ways and the opportunity to connect there, um, you know, is, is really present. And so I'm, I'm taking the mindfulness component and, and how to develop a relationship with a species that speaks another language other than, you know, verbal and, and putting it into a book. 
And I've already kind of like, oh, and I can see how I could guide people through this process as well on developing a deeper relationship with their dog partner, their canine. And, and then how does that impact themselves during the process of building a relationship with, with their dog? Um, so that mindfulness component of you take it and you're mindful to how you interact with your dog. You're mindful on how you're interacting with yourself and how you're experiencing each moment. And then it broadens out, it ripples out even further to the other animals that are in the world, the other people that are in the world, the other, you know, trees and plants and the world itself, the earth. Um, mindfulness is a beautiful, beautiful component of living, of being present, of being in gratitude um, and, and being intentional in your interactions. And I think that the dogs, um, dogs are just amazing, amazing beings. And we're so lucky to be able to have them in our life and learn from them. And so I want to take that and put it into, we'll start with a book. I'm doing card deck. I've got dogs that I've met through the years and I have pictures of. So as an artist, I'm creating them. And, um, and it'll be messages on how to connect with your, with your canine in a different way, your dog in a different way. So, so yeah, before we go, I know that, you know, you're pivoting into the hypnosis. So, no, that too. Yeah, <laughs> before we end for today, do you want to, um, what is it that called you to do hypnosis of all things? You know, here you are working with canine partners and what have you. What drew you into the hypnosis? I don't know. I sometimes do things where I don't immediately know why I do them. Necessarily. <laughs> Guilty of that myself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I experienced hypnosis and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And I could see the benefits. Um so it's kind of like mindfulness, uh, like a guided meditation, right? Where somebody's guiding you through deep relaxation. That part of of hypnosis and mindfulness line up very easily, right? Mm -hmm. And then you drop down lower and you, the hypnotist, me, would talk to the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is always working for our highest good. Now, sometimes it gets a little confused on what is what do we actually want? Um, but it is working for our highest good. Our cognitive brain, so the brain that mindfulness works with, sometimes gets very chatty and it gets quiet during a hypnosis session, right? So you can talk to that lower and you can kind of clear out some old thoughts and um behaviors that aren't working for you any longer. You can do that with mindfulness as well. Um, sometimes it might take a little longer because you do have that critical mind or that judgy part saying, no, you need to continue to do this or blah, blah, blah. It just the chatter, you know? And so I think it's cool to work with both parts of the, the mind. Um, and see how they can fit together so beautifully to, to offer a person that is struggling with an issue relief. And, and so I think that's why I, I think I'm not sure exactly, but right now that's why I think I'm doing it is because it, it really is dovetailing into my, my belief that I'm here to help assist people in finding their own, both mindfulness and hypnosis are all client-based activities, right? They're kind of guide, they're guided by the interest of the client. The client. Yep. Yep. And so, um, you know, I think that that it's just a beautiful way for me to offer support to somebody to find their own way of healing and um, what works for them and to support them in defining that because once, you know, they have found their light, so to speak, then they can go ahead and shine it out and it just kind of ripples out. So, you know, given the fact that the, from the universe's perspective, nothing is ever wasted. Right. 
Okay, so you've got all of your experiences that you've had from the past, um, you know, including with this moment to pause, and you've got hypnotherapy that's coming forward. Do you have any visions of um, combining the two and using, for example, the hypnotherapy in, say, a, a practice that focuses on a person and their canine partner? Can you see any benefit for doing something like that? I totally can. Does it cross uh, your mind? <laughs> it has crossed my mind. It has. Um, I do think that it would be, I mean, why not? <laughs> like, I totally could do that. And I thought about it. And I think that somewhere, you know, in the future, that's definitely like the specific client that I may be going after. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's something that I've thought about. And I, I, I definitely think that it is a skill that, that I need to have in my personal toolbox. Mm. I just don't know how it's going to unfold quite yet. So I mean, sounds like what you're going to be in a position of doing is, I don't know, are you going to put in specific requests to the universe on this or play it a little more free? (laughs) Well, I, you know, probably a little bit more free, but I, I have found that if I am very intentional with the que- request that I make, um, you know, I get answers. So, um, yeah, so we'll see. Sometimes I'm just like, hey, what am I supposed to do with this? But it's not very intentionally asking. So, yeah. Yeah. So if people wanted to get a hold of you, Vic, how, how would they do that? Um, they could email me at Vicky at mindfulhypnosiskc.com. Do you want to spell Vicky for them? So V-I-C-K-I. Yes, Kelsey. There's more than one way to spell Vicky. <laughs> I know there is. Yes. So, yeah, yes. Vicky at mindfulhypnosiskc.com. And I I actually do a lot of hypnosis. So all of my sessions are combined mindfulness and hypnosis together. Right. And um I do that online or you know through Zoom. I meet clients through Zoom. So you can you don't have to I know my name has KC in it, thinking that maybe I'm just local to the KC market, the Kansas City market, but I'm not. I am I'm online so I can meet you can do that wherever they are at. And are you open for people if they have any interest in your rebirthing of geopods? Um, absolutely. And them contacting you. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. If you want a deeper relationship with your dog, yeah. Give me- <laughs> Give me a girl. Give me a text. <laughs> or not a text, but an email. Send you an so, email. Yeah. Yeah. We really want to thank you for your time. And sure, and thank you for sharing your your story of the unfolding of your relationship, you know, with your various canine partners. And I, I know you've got even another one right now. Um, I do. That, that's stepped into your life. Um, so thank you for your time for that. And, you know, best wishes for the unfolding of the Mindfulness hypnotherapy, as as well as the rebirthing of your Thank you. Thank you very much.